we're talking about these doubts that, that plague us. And, and as a believer, you just, you just have to understand that this is a part of your journey. And, and doubts, like we said last week, are a frenemy. You know, a frenemy, it's a friend who acts like an enemy. And, and that's what doubts do. They, they feel like enemies, but they're actually friends because they, they ultimately bring blessings. It, it all depends on the perspective. Now, granted, you know, while the devil uses doubt to destroy us, God can use doubts to develop us. And our text today reminds us that, that we should obey even when we have doubts. The fact of the matter is we, we can always love and trust God. Everything we sang this morning gives us reason to know why we can always trust God, why we should always obey God, because he's worthy and he loves us and he's been so faithful. And we can, we can rightly yield ourselves always to God and thereby be a people who are thriving. Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Now, in order to thrive, we, we must choose. We must choose to obey God. And obedience is a choice. It's a choice that we make uh, among one of two options. And the first option is a sad option. It's the option that, that basically says, I'm going to seek first my kingdom. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get everything that, that I think is coming to me. And no matter what it costs, I, I'm, I'm going to pursue this. And the sad thing about it is you may get some of the stuff you want, but you will never get what you ultimately need. Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The best option is option two. Option two is to seek first God's kingdom. And the great thing about choosing God's kingdom is not only will you get God, but you'll get his provision with him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now look, every choice we make, every attitude we display, every action that, that we choose comes from a desire that says, I'm going to pursue my kingdom or a desire that says, I'm going to pursue God's kingdom. But what we learn in our text today, it helps us to understand how it is we can choose to obey God even, even when we have doubts. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to the prophet Haggai. If you'll remember what we're doing in this series, we're taking some of these small books of the Old Testament and we're, we're feeling the wallop of their big punch. We're in Haggai chapter one, and uh, Lennox is gonna just read for us the latter part of verse 12. So Lennox, once you come up, let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Let's be in Haggai chapter one. And she's just going to read that last little part of verse 12, which is the punch. Go ahead. All the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their, their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God, has sent him, and the people feared the Lord. That's right. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Well done, Lennox. You can go ahead and be seated. You all can be seated. So, and as you do, pray now for the preaching of God's word. Understand, the people in Haggai's day, uh, they had chosen to seek first their kingdom. And they had discounted and given up on God's kingdom. And they were facing the consequences for it. 
The, the background of the work of the prophet Haggai is found in Ezra chapter one through four. Let me encourage you today to go back and read Ezra chapter one through four, just as context for when this prophet was preaching. Uh, last week we were in Esther. Now he, he prophesied about 50 years or, so or more uh, before Esther's reign and all that began to happen. If you'll remember in 538 BC, Cyrus, the king of the Persians, had released all the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple. And the, the rabbinic tradition is that Daniel the prophet had sat down with Cyrus and showed him where his name was listed twice in the prophet Isaiah, and that Isaiah had prophesied a hundred years before his birth that he would be sending the Jews back. And, and in his excitement, he not only sent the Jews back, but he actually gave them the resources. He gave them the wood and all that was necessary to rebuild the temple. And so about 50,000 Jews left Babylon to go back to Jerusalem. But once they, once they got there, that you'll read this in Ezra 3, they, they laid the foundation and, and there was a celebration and some sadness because it was smaller than the previous temple. But then there, there came pressure. There, there came social pressure. There came political pressure for people to stop building the temple, and they did. They stopped building the temple, but they didn't stop building their houses. They didn't stop building their businesses. They, they began to seek first their kingdom rather than God's kingdom. And so God not only raised up Haggai, he also raised up Zechariah. And these prophets called God's people to faithfulness, back to what God had commanded them to do. Uh, the, the will of God was that there would be this temple. The temple was important because that's where sacrifices were made. This was the means for the people to have their sins atoned for. They had put that off for their own businesses, for their own houses. It, it showed where their priorities were. And more than that, this was also the very presence of God. They cared so little for the presence of God that they were willing to pursue their, their own purposes over that until the, the prophets showed up and they began to speak into the situation and, and to call them. And you know, what, what Haggai's people did is a lot of what I see, what we see happening in, in the lives of many of God's people today. God is not their priority. They're being pushed by societal pressures to disregard God. The negative consequences are beginning to be felt. There is more anxiety and depression among God's people than we've ever seen before. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that when you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, all that he can bring to your life is not added to you. So it's all up to you. And when it's all up to you, that's pressure. That creates anxiety. And that, that also creates an overwhelming depression because, because you know you can't handle it. You weren't made to. The people in Haggai's day, like many Christians today, doubted God. The reason why the people in Haggai's day did not pursue what God desired for them was because they doubted God. Many of God's people today are doubting God, which is driving their decisions. You know, we, we human beings are funny. We, we often like to deny the things that are true about us. You know, a, a perfect example of this, and by the way, don't, don't give looks, don't throw elbows. There's a lot of elbow thrown in the first service when I said this, all right? But there's, there's a certain group of people, it, something is very true of them, but they deny it, and it's people who snore. Now, it makes sense why they, look, I'm already seeing it. I saw some elbows right there. 
It's, it's just, the reason why they don't know it is, of course, because they're asleep. They don't, they're not aware of it. And, and you wake them up. And why'd you wake me up? You're snoring. I'm not snoring. Why is the dog howling? It's because of you. You're snoring. I had a, a dear friend of mine. His dad had gone to um, a, a men's conference for the weekend. It was about an hour from their house. They were going to be staying in cabins. He's a real light sleeper. So he found three guys who said that they didn't snore. And so he put them in his cabin. And about 1 a.m., my friend tells me his dad came in mad as a hornet, mad. And he said, dad, what are you doing here? He goes, those guys are a bunch of liars. He said, what are you talking about? He said, we weren't 15 minutes with those lights out. It sounded like two bears fighting with a train coming in the middle of all of them. I mean, it was just awful. So he went to bed, got to sleep, went over the next morning and the guys were like, where were you? And he just, he said, I told him, you're a bunch of liars. He was still mad the next morning and said, you boys are snores. We're not snoring. And so we have this ability as human beings to deny things about ourselves that everyone else knows that are true. We can see that they are true, but we still deny it. And one of the things that we often deny as God's people are our doubts. Everyone doubts. In some way, there are doubts. And the people in Haggai's day, they they probably didn't think that they were doubters, but they doubted God. They doubted God to the point that that they did not obey. Now, they had an argument, and and I see this argument made by by, by some of uh, so-called Christians today. They said, well, look, we believe in God. We don't doubt God. We left Babylon to come back to Jerusalem. Does that sound like somebody who doubts God? Well, that's true. You made a first step, but you've not continued to walk in obedience. It's like so many Christians today, especially in the South. When you ask them about the relationship with God, they want to talk about how they were saved when they were in Sunday school, how they were saved at vacation Bible school, how they were saved at church camp. But they can't talk about a relevant and and lively life in Christ right now because they're living in doubts. The the doubts of of the people in Haggai's day uh, were, were very clear. First of all, they doubted God's worth. I mean, look with me in, in, in verses two through four in Haggai chapter one. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time is, has not yet come to re- rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? They had come back to build the temple, but they hadn't done it. Instead, They were building their house. See, God had provided resources, the materials, the time, the calling to rebuild the temple. But what had they done? They took the wood that Cyrus gave them. And rather than building the temple, they used that to build their own houses. How many of God's people today are taking the blessings of the resources that God has given and not and not investing them in kingdom work, not tithing, not giving, not serving, not making God priority. Why? Because you doubt God's worth. The, the people in Haggai's day, they doubted God's worth and they, they doubted God's power. They didn't think God could provide for them. They, they didn't trust in the Lord. Look in verse five and six. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. 
See, what they were doing is what a lot of God's people do today. They don't trust in God's power. They trust in their power. They're not trusting in what God can do. They're trusting what they themselves can do. And it may very well be, and I see it. And there are so many of the family and the fold of living hope who are quite capable and gifted. And those gifts are producing material resources. But let me tell you what, what your money can never buy, what your nice car can never do, what your big house will, will never be able to, to accomplish for you. It can never give you eternal peace. It can never change your character. It can never make you the man or the woman that Jesus died for you to be. And yet so many, so many today, they don't, there's not a trust in God. I can't trust God with a tithe. I can't give an offering. I can't give my energy to that. I've got so many other important things to do. I've got other places I could be. After all, that's the only day that I can run errands. It's the only day I get to sleep in. Because you doubt, you doubt God's worth, you doubt God's power, and you doubt God's purpose. I love the, 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 the point here. Look in verse seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What are you living for? What really matters to you? What, what, what is it that you wake up every day excited about? What is it if it doesn't happen, you're discouraged? What is it that, that presses you forward? The thing that you're, you're putting your best energy, you're even, even if you do pray, that's what you really pray about. Is it the kingdom of God? Is it for eternal matters? Or is it for your kingdom? Is it for your pleasures? Is it for your stuff, your way, your will? Yes, what, what we see today is the need for a call. And Haggai made the call. Look what it says in verse eight. Look what they had to do. This is fascinating. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Now, why did they have to go up into the woods to get the wood? Because they had already used what God had provided on themselves. You know what we have to do sometimes? Sometimes we have to recover what has been lost. Some of you have lost your love for God. You've lost your faith in the power of God and your belief in the worth of God. The, the, the purpose of God. The purpose of God is to bring glory to himself by saving sinners and turning them into saints. Does it matter to you? Now, most, of, most Christians, most people who've had any time in the scriptures at all would say, of course it matters if someone goes to hell. Okay, do you believe it enough that it leads you to passionately pray for the lost people around you? Do you believe in it? Are you so passionate about it that you are compelled to regularly share your faith with those that you know that are, that are, that are on their way to an eternity separated from God under his wrath? Again, we have a simple resource, three circles. And yet, even though you see it and have seen it for 10 years, if I asked you to do it right now, most of you could not write it yourself. Why is that? Friends, it's not because you're not smart. You are a smart people. You are a gifted people. You are a capable people. But you doubt the worth and the power and the purpose of God. And you need to repent. You, you, you need to refocus. Haggai, 
and, and the ministry of Zechariah called the people, and I'm calling you today to return to the Lord, to come back to your senses, to wake up to the will of God. And these people did. I also want to say that many of you are faithful. Many of you have been faithful. Someone asked me after the last service, what's the blessing? What's the blessing that comes when you're faithful? Assurance. You can know that you know that you're saved. Someone said, can a person, can a person who made a decision 10 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago, not, who's not walking with the Lord, can they know that they are saved? And I said, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know this. It's only when I am walking faithfully with God that I feel the assurance of my salvation. You may be saved, but I'm friends, you will never feel assured in it until you are thriving and walking with the Lord, choosing to obey God. Three things I want you to see in our text today, which is beginning in verse 12. The first is this, thriving saints choose to obey God according to the word of God. It's not what they feel. It's not what they think. It's what the word says. Look in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, look what they did. They obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet. What is the word of God? It's the Bible. What is, what is the message of Haggai? It's the Bible. They began to obey the word of God, the scripture. It's amazing when we begin to feed ourselves the word of God, how much more hungry we get for it. You know what's interesting about fasting? If you fast from food and it's a water fast, you're just drinking water, you know, no matter how your appetite may be, and you may think, not me, it wouldn't work for me. About, the, about day five, you stop being hungry. You stop being hungry till your body's about to decay and die. And then there's, again, a call for food. But once you get used to fasting, once you get used not to eating, your body normalizes around that behavior. Once you stop reading the word of God and you, and you fast from the word and the presence of God, your flesh will accompany, will, will, will be glad to receive that and will stop being hungry. Friends, some of you need to jumpstart your appetite for God for his word and dig into it and, and drink deep of what God demands and what he desires for his people. Because your natural inclination, all of our natural inclination is gonna be for three things. One is to do what makes us look good. Rather than do what God commands, what most people, many people are, are concerned about is how they look. There was a cataclysmic event that occurred in a family and there was one person wasn't concerned at all about how this was going to impact the lives of the people. The, the question that was asked was, what if other people find out? If you're honest, there are so many of God's people today. That is your greatest fear. That's why you're not in a group. That's why you're not in accountability. It's because you don't want people to know. You don't, you're not transparent with your life. Your greatest fear is, what if someone finds out that I don't, I don't preach or, or pray like an ordained pastor? What if they find out that I don't know everything about the Bible? What if they, what if they hear in my voice a tremble? What if they see that I, I am actually what the Bible says, a sinner? No, 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 I've got to look like I've got it all together. And I'm never going to pray. That way no one can know that I'm not very good at it. I'm going to keep this concealment. And I, I'm never going to really be true to let anyone see because you're more concerned about what you look like than what God's actually doing in your life. 
You're kind of like that mother. I've never understood that mother who, when the child was in the car accident, says, well, I sure hope your underwear was clean. More worried about whether an ambulance driver or doctor thinks of their cleanliness. You know, I've always thought that a child would rightly say, well, they were clean before the accident. And there were two accidents, by the way. But what does that come from? It comes from a fear of what, what are we going to look like? What, what's, and, and so many people, our natural inclination is to always, you know, to do, to be worried about what, what we look like or to be really focused on what we feel like. How does it make me feel? You know, some of the so-called churches, and I use that term because I'm not sure that if you analyzed what some people call themselves as a church or even as a Christian doesn't align with, with scripture. And so I'm going to use that term so-called. There are some so-called churches and so-called Christians who are, are no longer concerned at all about the, what the Bible says. What they are very concerned about is how people feel. And they are more concerned that people feel comfortable in their sin than they be called to repent from their sin. And so what are we seeing? Rather than limiting physical intimacy between a married man and a woman, people are choosing sin and they're expecting God and the church to accommodate their sin. To tell them it's not wrong. You're just making the choice that's right for you. Rather than be the biological man or woman God made them to be, people are living in a pretend world where what they feel like is what they are. And if you don't join them in their pretend world and use the pronouns that they have selected, you're mean, you're uncaring. You, you, you just don't understand that that's what's wrong with you. Bible people, you just won't let everyone pretend to be what they want to be living in a pretend world. Friends, what does that say about our nation? How confused are we as a nation? where we've redefined marriage. We've redefined what what God has made us to be as men and women rather than live out their role in their family as responsible dads and husbands, moms and wives, daughters and sons. They're doing what they want to do rather than doing what is needed. This is the world we're in. Friends, we must not conform to the pattern of this world, but we must be renewed by the transformation of our minds that happens through the spirit of God and the word of God. We, we don't want to do, we must not do what makes us look good or what makes us feel good or third, what is convenient for us. So many Christians are not living out of a deep conviction. They're living out of a desire for convenience. When polls are taken, so-called Christians are asked, tell us about your lifestyle. Here's what we're discovering Fewer and fewer are gathering for worship, giving to God's work, praying faithfully, sharing their hope, standing for Christ. Instead, they're doing what's convenient. It would be amazing to see what would happen if all who were truly saved lived like it for a year straight. Unapologetically. I believe it would transform churches and homes and communities. Living Hope, here's what I want to challenge you with. You've heard us talk recently about be living hope. I want you to ask yourself this question regularly. Question to ask. What if everyone at Living Hope was doing exactly what I was doing in the church? What would the church be like? Would there be Sundays when the church was completely empty? Would, would there be any ministries to serve the membership or the city with? 
Would there be any money to do the work of the ministry, to pay the ministers and to pay for the ministries? Friends, God is calling us to obedience to his word. And there is a sweet blessing. Oh, that all of God's people could say as the psalmist did in Psalm 19, beginning in verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than, any, than, than the gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Friends, a thriving church built on obedience to the word of God is a great blessing. Second, Thriving saints choose to obey God according to their awe of God. And and I use that word awe instead of fear uh, in in the hopes that it translates a little bit better. Look at the last part of verse 12. Look at the response of the people. And the people feared the Lord. Now we got to understand what that means. Today's Halloween and probably tonight, you're going to see strange things in in people's yards. It's hilarious. Uh, uh, Last year, one of our neighbors put up these three um, scarecrows in their bushes and Charlie did not like those bushes. He thought they were coming to kill us for sure. And he, we would go on walks and you could just see him eyeing those things. I'm going to kill you. Just, and he, he doesn't bark. It's way too much energy usage for him. So you're going to see some strange things out, you know, and, 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 you know, they're meant to make us to have fear. You know, that's why I I don't like to be afraid. I don't watch scary movies. Now I think it's hilarious when other people are scared, but I don't like to be scared. I mean, if I can see someone, you know, bust out terrified in tears, that's a good day for me personally, as long as it's not me. You know, when, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's not scared fleeing for your life. I like the word awe. I think scripture gives us a great picture of it. Go, hold your finger there in Haggai. Go to Mark chapter four. Go to Mark chapter four. This is a story where Jesus is with the disciples and they're going across the sea. And along the way, Jesus decides to take a nap. Now, this was not Jesus dozing. This wasn't him being alert and just kind of nodding his head a little bit. No, no, no. It says that he got a cushion. He got a pillow. That's when you know you're committed to a nap. When you flat out get your pillow and blanket and say, I'm, at one o'clock, I will have a pillow and a blanket and I'm gonna find some space for me. And I find it every Sunday because it's the Lord's day and everyone should have a nap. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes, yes. So Jesus, it wasn't, he just dope. He was committed to a nap and he took a nap and this huge storm comes, Right? And what do the disciples do? This is in Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35. The disciples freak out. They're like, oh, we're gonna die. So they go and wake up Jesus. And I just pictured, I don't know why, I have a crazy situation. I just pictured Jesus waking up from his nap, going out to the front of the boat, looking at them with the side eye, right? And being like, hush. And everything goes calm. And then Jesus walks back with the side eye. Is that your faith? Is that all you got? I'm going to go lay down. Look at verse 41. This is awesome. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It wasn't that they were scared. They weren't jumping off the boat terrified that Jesus was going to kill them. There was fear. There was awe. There was this wonderment. There was this sense of we are in the presence of power and love and, and strength. And there was a delight. The people in Haggai's day, they feared God and obeyed him with delight. And they expected his blessing. Third thing to note, thriving saints choose to obey God according to the stirring of God. According to the stirring of God. One of the great promises, probably my favorite promise that God gives to his people is that he will never leave us or forsake us. When you study God's word, it might surprise you to see that, 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 God, that God does not promise that we won't suffer. God doesn't promise that, that there won't be times when we get sick. As a matter of fact, the Bible clearly seems to indicate that we're all going to get sick of something and die or be killed and that, that we're going to have pain. Here's, here's my favorite promise as a, as a child of God. I will never be sick and I will never die and I will never suffer alone. The Lord God has promised to be with me always to the very end of the age. Now look what God promised the people in verse 14. Look at this wonderful, I'm sorry, verse 13. Look at this. I am with you, declares the Lord. What's he saying? You're not alone. I'm with you. And the way the Lord is with us today is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he was going to come. Jesus said, I'm going to pray to the Father and he's going to send you a helper. It says in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Notice the capital H. To be with you forever, even notice the capital S, the spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and, and will be in you. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Read about it in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has come, and now for all of us who believe, he lives in us, and that's how God is present with us. And we're commanded as Christians to walk by the Spirit. This is Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As Christians, we are commanded to not grieve the Spirit, Ephesians 4, 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And we are commanded by God to, to be filled by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, this, this is a mental passive. That means it's happening to you, but it's because of something you do. The illustration is clear. What makes you to be intoxicated? It's, it's, by, it's by receiving into yourself alcohol. So what enables us to be filled? What enables us to, to be transformed with the Spirit? We make ourselves available to Him. And we invite him to move and to work and to change. Now, when we experience the spirit in these ways, the spirit stirs our spirit. Look what it says in verse 14. And the Lord stirred the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. Friends, when, when the... When the spirit stirs, there's a conviction. There's a confidence. 
there's a courage. I, I get very, very uncomfortable when I'm not being stirred by the Holy Spirit. If I'm not sensing a stirring of the Holy Spirit, I, I begin to assume that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So two and a half years ago, I began to assume that I was supposed to leave Living Hope. And here's why. In May, I always write the sermon series for the next year. It might amaze you to know that this sermon series, this sermon itself was planned in in May of last year. Well, in May of 2019, the Lord was not speaking to me clearly. I mean, I knew what I wanted to preach, but I had no peace about it. As a matter of fact, as I was asking the Lord to show me what I was supposed to preach in 2020, I was not hearing anything. The truth is God was speaking. I wasn't listening. And so I I, I, came, I came to an understanding of what God wanted to, to, for us to preach in, in August and September of that year. The Lord knew what, hell, what 2020 was going to hold for us, and he knew exactly what we needed to hear. But, friends, for those few months, I began to wonder, am I in the wrong spot? Because I need to sense the stirring of the Spirit of God, and so do you. If you're not sensing the stirring of the Spirit of God, you need to be very concerned. You need to be like parents when they're not hearing their children fight or do something in the other room. Moms and dads, you know this. When you have young children, if you're not hearing something going on in the other room, something bad is happening. Am I right? Some of you have walked into some of these pictures. Look at these pictures. Some of you have walked into a room and you've seen hair missing. Boys and girls, I know that Pastor Jason is a handsome man, but you don't want this haircut right now, okay? No, you do not. You know, the kid gets caught in the toilet. I've never actually seen that one. I thought that was just really interesting, so I added that one. But how many times have kids found, show of hands, how many of your kids have found makeup or paint and decided to decorate their bodies to the glory of God? Amen, yes. And then the kids who found breakfast, right? And having breakfast without mom, woohoo, cereal for everybody. Here's what you know. When you're not hearing your children stirring in the other room, they may be catching the house on fire. Here's what you need to know. If you're not not sensing the stirring of the Spirit of God in your life, something is wrong. Something is terrible wrong. See, when, when God is stirring us, there's a change. It's not according to the flesh. It's according to the spirit. And we, we feel compelled to live for God's glory, to pursue God's kingdom. It makes us humble and grateful. And here's the ultimate thing that happens. When, when the spirit of God is stirring you and you begin to fulfill the commands given to us in scripture about the Holy Spirit, here's what ultimately happens. You and I become more holy. Living for the flesh is not going to make you holy. Conceding to the demands of culture that will not make you holy. You getting more stuff and getting more awards and and getting more earthly things that you cannot keep, that is not going to make you holy. What makes us holy is when we're living by the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, are you being stirred by the Spirit of God? Are you living in fear of God? Do you fear more of missing God's blessing than you fear of missing the world's stuff? 
And are you living in obedience to the word of God? Now, some of you can't because you're not Christians. You can't because you're not saved. And you need to be saved. But some of you cannot and are not because you're not, you're not honoring God. You're, you're doubting God. And, and let me just, let me ask you to swallow that. Let me just ask you to swallow that. If you're not doing what our scripture commands us, it's because you doubt God. It's not because you're too busy. It's not because there, there, there's, there's a, there's a, there, no, forget the excuses. You're doubting God's worth. You're doubting God's power. And you're doubting God's purpose. And there's no blessing in that. There's no blessing in that. Receive God's blessing. Let's stand together. As we stand together, I'm asking our spiritual care leaders to come forward. And as they come forward, let's pray. Father, your word is so clear that, Lord, we, if we're honest, we doubt you. We may not fully doubt, but we doubt to a degree. And our doubts are revealed in our lack of obedience and trust and the lack of peace and calm even in the midst of the storm. Father, I know that there are some here today that they're, they're, they're doubting because they're not saved. And I pray that today, before they leave, that they will come and talk with one of these spiritual leaders and say, look, I need Christ in my life. I want to know that God is with me always. I, I want to know I'm forgiven and I want to know that my life is being lived for what's best. Father God, I know that there are some here today that, that are believers and they are being so faithful. And I pray that many are hearing this today and they are being so encouraged because, because they are being faithful. They, they do fear you. They do obey your word. They, they do walk in your spirit. And I pray that you will affirm them and encourage them. But Lord, there, there are some in our membership who are not and I pray they're bothered and not blessed. And I pray that even right now, they will confess their sin and repent. God, we need your help. Church, Living Hope, play right, pray right now for your church. Pray for the faithfulness of, our, of the people, for us as God's people. Pray that we will receive and be the blessing that Jesus died for us to have to hold, to live. God, you are so good. In all our lives, you have been so faithful. And we praise you for that today. We also acknowledge, Lord, what we don't want to, which is we doubt. And that leads to decisions to seek first our kingdom rather than yours. Lord, forgive us. And make us those who are renewed in our commitment to you and, and those who can receive and enjoy a life that you bless. Oh God, make us to live blessable lives. We ask this in Jesus' name.